The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Mike Rowe here with a few thoughts on my favorite sweatshirt. A classic zip-up hoodie that used to be navy blue but has since faded to what the fashionistas call a distressed indigo. It's 13 years old, soft as a flannel bathrobe, and after a few hundred dirty jobs, demonstrably and undeniably indestructible. This is the kind of sweatshirt girlfriends like to permanently borrow. But I've held on to this one because I got it from American Giant. American Giant makes all their stuff right here in the USA so they can control every link in their own supply chain. That matters, because when you buy American Giant, you not only get great quality, you create jobs for people in factory towns all over the country. No pressure, but if you give a damn about the business of making things in America, you got to support the companies who are doing it right. Go to American-Giant.com Mike to get 20% off your first order. That's American-Giant.com Mike. This is a CW Spiral, a podcast run by two barchies and a bughead. We're your hosts, Sabrina Reed, Michael Patterson, and Reed Gowden. Bringing you history about the network, the latest news, and in-depth spoiler-filled discussions of some of our favorite shows on the CW. Okay, so the CW canceled our mini pod last week, but we get to get it back this week. So we'll be having a short pod, but a fun pod. But of course, we have to start everything with the news. And Reed, I'm going to take it away for you for 90210 News. Yes, I wanted to, you know, take a minute to talk about a cause that I'm very passionate about, and that is 90210 getting back on the CW app and the CWTV.com. <laughs> I, when that news came, it was unexpected, but very exciting because the show has been so difficult to find, it feels like, for fans and I know when we did our you know, 2 and 0 pod in September which if you haven't listened to that go listen to that or watch the videos on our YouTube channel um, literally like the next day the CW pulled it and I was like what's the odds <laughs> but it's back so everyone go watch all five seasons I'm currently in season five of my re-binge and it is glorious just top to bottom teen drama mess yay I wonder if they got the licensing to put the original songs in you know, that is a good thing for me to research. Because that would be fun. Then we could have the moments that you were talking about that Michael and I did not get I know, to I was experience. like, chasing pavements gave me chills all over again. And you were like, what? <laughs> <laughs> like, we did not have Adele. <laughs> no, we did not. But maybe we will. I'll have to push play and see whether or not she has been inserted back into the spot that she should be in um but yeah you guys should go watch it on cwtv.com and the cw app get your life i mean they're presenting like i hope that means that we're getting more cw classics dropping on the streamer since apparently it's a big deal for them now um bring back nikita please mm -hmm. i'd love to watch it yeah same yeah and then as far as that's it for cw news because the mid-season schedule is not out yet they along with cbs um, have yet to drop theirs, which is like, 
I'm getting obsessive with it. Like I'm always on the press site. Like, did you release the press release? Deadline doesn't have it. TV line doesn't have it. When are you releasing them a decent schedule? We need to know. I guarantee it'll be at least 20 minutes after we wrap recording today. Right. <laughs> You're very right. But that'll be okay though. It'll just miss this pod episode and we'll just like either be excited or be dragging them once again, once it comes out. Yeah. Either next week we'll be excited or we will once again be just exhausted and start, <laughs> and just start dragging. That's <laughs> made at this point. <laughs> it's such a roller coaster. Hopefully soon they'll they'll like they're like even out and we can all just breathe again until it's cancellation season. But until then, I just want to be able to breathe without being choked by the CW. <laughs> yeah. It would be nice for a week or two. Yes. But that's it for the news. So we're gonna hop right into what we're watching. So what is going on in Blue Valley, Michael? Oh, speaking of being choked for a moment or two, I was choked up for a moment or two in last night's episode of Stargirl because did not see this one coming. I've said this show tends to do like very much like the calm after the storm and the calm before the next storm in a few of its episodes. It'll like build towards a moment and then calm down and then build towards a moment and then calm down. This was the calm down point and I didn't expect it to also like be such a stormy episode, so to speak. So it was all about the Crocs. Uh, the family that of former villains that are trying to redeem themselves. Um, Lawrence slash Lara, who used to be the villain sportsmaster, is now besties with Pat. Paula slash Tigress uh, now is now besties with uh, Courtney's mom, Barbara. And they've really come leaps and bounds and uh, overcome their demons. And they're, they're basically residents of Blue Valley. Now, they were the original frenemies and now they're friends. There's no more enemies about it. And... So the, the episode opened with them uh, and their, uh, con- t- uh, t- contacting their daughter, showing how happy they are in life. They went out for a run together. They just went through Blue Valley like any normal resident would. And then they stopped outside Grandpa and Grandma McCann's house and were like, we always protected our people. Well, Pat and Barbara and the Whitmores are our people now. And those, those guys over there are our enemies. What are we going to do about it? And uh, Paula was like, well, we've sworn off violence. We can't do anything about that, but we do have to protect the Whitmores and the Dugans at all costs. So that was very much the intro to the episode. Meanwhile, Mike and Jakeem, who uh, were had a run-in with the massive uh, gorilla in the end of last week's episode, were still trapped in the woods trying to I escape. about the gorilla. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't, I, I, I always love it. And I'll say this about Nancy as well. I always love it when we pick right up where the cliffhanger left off. And this very mm. much did that. They were still lost in the woods. They tried to use the uh, Thunderbolt pen to wish them back home. But the Thunderbolt pen is, needs you to be very specific. So when it said it wished them to be back home, they literally just ended up back in the forest because it's still in Blue Valley, which is still their home. So they lost that wish and they couldn't get home. So they had to just find their own way home and they were on the run. But Pat was worried that the reason they went missing was because of Grandpa and Grandma Icicle because... Mike killed Jordan, the original icicle. So he was, since all hell broke loose with the grandparents last week, he was worried that they had kidnapped them. So he and Starman decided to visit the McCants. And uh, Grandpa Icicle is now out of the hospital after his heart attack last week, but he, is, he was weak and he was recovering. And thankfully, his psychotic wife was not there. So he basically revealed how they were chased out of their home country when they were younger um, and generate a tap it with generations because of their ice powers. The country haunted them and tried to get rid of them, which is why they migrated to the US. And uh, but he said, we Wait, find can I ask a question? Sure. 
Is it a real country or a fictional country? I think they said they were Norwegian, so I assume it's in Norway. Okay. Um, and uh, that's why they consistently speak in different languages as well. And, I've always uh, got to check with these, these shows. <laughs> like, where are we? <laughs> is it Gotham City or is it a real place? Yeah. Um, uh, but he said, basically, he is definitely the camera of the two, the more polite and the more relaxed of the two. And it does sound like he, in another life, he would have been willing to let it go. He hates the hatred that this feud has caused. However, he said, you took our son from us and we cannot forget that. So please leave this house and preferably leave the country before my wife comes back because she will come for you. And so Pat and Starman left unhappily and worried basically about Mike and everyone and but grandma icicle didn't take too kindly to that visit I don't know how she found out but then she showed up at the Whitmore house and tried to kill Barbara that was like our son thought the world of you he was going to save us all and then you all killed him it's such a shame you won't be around to see his world and she literally went to fire an icicle at uh, Barbara and then an arrow was shot to the door beside her and it was Paula slash Tigress said leave my friend alone and uh, she said I won't miss on purpose next time because Tigress never misses so the grandma just walked with her tail between her legs and stormed out of the house upset that her son's former allies had turned against her and um, so Barbara it was a big moment for Paula because again Paula has become such a good uh, friend of Barbara's and she's no longer a villain and she said we're going to need to teach you how to protect yourself so she started showing Paula how to use the crossbow to fight or started showing Barbara how to use the crossbow to fire arrows um and meanwhile as all of this was happening the grandma had told uh Cameron that he needed to avenge his father's death and you need to kill them and uh Cameron wasn't very happy about that, but he decided to go off and get answers. And he had this really powerful moment with Courtney. And she said, I didn't want to tell you because I didn't want to ruin the image of your father because you thought the world of him. And just, what was, it was a really nice moment because it de-escalated the conflict. He understood that and he appreciated that. And he was, it sounded like he was willing to let it go, except the fact that somebody killed his father. He was like, but did you have to kill him though? And he was like, tell me who killed my father. So Courtney lied and told him it was her because um, he she, she knew that he wouldn't do anything to her. So he stormed off. It was like, I never, ever want to see you again. But he, clearly he still cared about her. So he wouldn't do anything about it, which is, which is important because I think if he found out it was Mike, he wouldn't have been so lenient. So he stormed off. Um, and now back to the more interest, most interesting part of the episode, Mike and Jakeem were in the woods, still trying to run away from the gorilla and they heard the gorilla roar in the background. And as they were running through the forest, they got trapped by like, uh, an animal trap. They were pulled up into the tree by a net and they were like, how do we, who, who set this? Was it the gorilla? And then you heard in the background, what are you two idiots doing here? And they Cindy. turned around and it was Cindy. And uh, yeah. they tried to tell her, or they tried to tell her all about the gorilla and we need to protect you. And she was like, you need to protect me. She was like, this is what the trap was for. And yeah, you guys have wandered into it. She was like, go back to Blue Valley, go tell them what's going on. I have got this. Um, so she was going to, she was going to catch the gorilla. She wanted to catch the gorilla so that she could uh, clear her own name. But more importantly, uh, tell Robert and everyone's faces and be like, no, I was innocent the whole time. She still <laughs> hasn't gotten over that, um, which is totally typically Cindy thing to do. She wants to do the right thing, but she also wants to like reap the rewards off it as well. Um, 
So they they went back to, they went back home and uh, Cindy stayed in the woods to catch it. It was the only scene she was in the episode, but like it was a good scene. I, I I remember thinking that it's been like three or four episodes since we saw her, and that was a good scene to bring her back because even even though she left, she's still very much doing the right thing. Um, and as all this was happening, uh, the Crocs went to visit the mechanic grandparents, and they basically said that we knew your son very well. We worked with your son. He was our ally in the ISA. And um, his way of life didn't work. You said Jordan wanted a better life for your family so you would no longer have to run. And that was that was what his misguided idea of a better America looked like. That's why he became a villain. But it's no longer causing anyone to be happy. It's creating direct conflict. It's creating hate. And Jordan wanted a better world for his son. The world that we're living in right now with all this rivalries, all these rivalries and feuds is not a better world. And shockingly enough, that kind of got through to the grandmother. She was not for listening to them. And then when they said that, it kind of did. So uh, Lawrence took out his sportsmaster mask, which he used to wear as part of the ISN and left it on the table and was like, if we can leave this life behind, so can you. And so then they left in peace and they both both the Crocs held hands and smiled at each other. It was like, I think we've got through to them. So basically, they're proud of themselves that they managed to de-escalate the conflict without having to fight. And I think that was such an incredible moment for the two of them because they were they were two villains that absolutely thrived on feuding, thrived on fighting, and they're probably the best fighters on the show. They've been involved in some great fight scenes in the past, but they managed to de-escalate the conflict with words and telling people how they felt and using themselves as an example. And that was a big moment for them. And a cut back to the McCants after that and Grandma was crying, looking at a poster of Jordan and just said, I miss him so much. And then grandpa gave her a big hug. And it was just it was nice to see those two people not as like one dimensional villains spouting lines about how they're going to kill people. And you kind of understood their motivations then. But very much the conflict has been de-escalated and the former villains, the Crocs, were responsible for that. So I think they really came through in the end. And. Mike and Jakeem then went back to Courtney's and told her all about the gorilla and Pat revealed that he had heard of him before. And yes, it was the ultra humanite who we all predicted it was last week. Um, he said it's what they were one of the most, the most dangerous ISA villains they've ever faced um, because drag, it, it was apparently a really, really smart scientist who decided to place his brain inside of a gorilla. So it's, it is a person, but he's inside this body that was created for him that's basically indestructible because he wanted to stop the JSA years ago. And he's one of the JSA's greatest failures because they did manage to imprison him, but he escaped. And with the help of Dragon King, they built this gorilla body for him, which then they put his incredibly smart brain into. So he's incredibly dangerous. But all of this kind of like imbued a fire within Courtney and she stood up in the living room. It was like, this is the next Eclipso. This is what it's all been building towards. Last year, the ISA and the JSA came together to stop Eclipso. And now we're all going to have to do it again. Everyone in this room, the bad guys, the good guys, we all love Blue Valley and it's in danger now because of the ultra humanite and we all have to team up to stop it including the McCants. And they were like, no, 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 we don't need those psycho grandparents on our side. But Courtney was like, no, we do. Good and bad has to come together to stop a far greater evil, which let's be honest, that's what the theme of this season has been all about. I was just going to say that's the subtitle. (laughs) Exactly. Frenemies. Um, So it really... I have to say that this is the episode where it felt like most progress was done yet again, no costumes, no fighting, just some great human drama. And I feel like that's one of probably what Stargirl does best. And 
it really set the stage for the final three, four episodes and four or three, I don't know. I can't count. I'll tell you later. Um, but it really, it, it was a turning point for the show. And I was very happy with that until the final scene because mm-hmm. the Crocs were walking hand in hand through town, just like looking, reflecting on how great they did, how they helped de-escalate conflict, how they really redeem themselves and how they actually have friends for once. They don't just have villains. They have actual friends in Pat and Barbara. And I was like, this is getting very much like a hero send off. I don't like it. Uh-huh. And, th- and then they saw the posters for La- Lawrence slash Larry's gym were all torn down off the wall. And all of them were like scattered towards a manhole. And they were like, somebody wants our attention. And this was just after they got a call from their daughter, Artemis, who was also a former villain, who said, I think she said she got into university or college. Um, so it was just, it was a great moment for a per- the parents. It was a great moment for the family. And then they said, we'll be home in a few minutes, love. And I was like, you're not getting home in a few minutes. And so they went into the sewer and they followed the trail of torn down gym posters. And they found the lair with all the TV screens of whoever has been watching them over the last nine weeks. Of course, the screens were destroyed because the JSA had taken down all the cameras a few episodes ago. And just as they were looking, this hooded figure came out from behind them and stabbed Paula right in the stomach. And then Larry went to run towards him and he stabbed him as well. And the thing I noticed is, Paula, as, as she was stood with the object stabbed in her, I noticed that parts of her skin started to turn slightly blue and then start to crack like ice. And then um, they pulled them, he pulled the blades out of both of them and they both fell together. And he ripped the mask off to reveal that it was Jordan, a.k.a. Icicle, a.k.a. the villain of season one, who was shattered into thousands of pieces, is still alive. And he was like, at least the two of you will die together. And a really, really heartbreaking moment. Larry and Paula reached for each other on the floor and both said, I love you at the same time as they both turned into ice sculptures and you could see the tear running down uh, Paula's face. And then Jordan went like up there and literally they both shattered into thousands of pieces and then turned to dust. There's um, so many moving parts to this show. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so that was it. Icicle is back. That is why they finally decided to pull the trigger on the Cameron storyline now after building towards it for seasons. I'm kind of uh, heartbroken still about Cameron yeah. and Courtney because as a viewer, it's so bittersweet when you watch a character make a sacrifice like that for somebody that they care about. And you know they're taking that bullet so that this person can have some sort of inner peace but they're it's so hard to watch as a as a viewer because you're like oh we know the truth but he can't know it it's like i don't know it broke my heart to hear that i feel like that will play into the next three episodes because now that jordan's back (laughs) i think cameron will get to see what his father was who his father became and that he was never the good person we have he ever thought that he was Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.
And it's also interesting to me is that the villains of this piece so far were just were, it seemed to be the grandparents, but it was grief that was driving them. Yes, they turned into one dimensional villains as a result, but it was very much grief that was driving them. So now that they've kind of addressed that and the grandparents are ready to move on, how will they react that their son is still alive and that he's still as evil as he ever was? Um, I know for a fact that in the promo next week, Jordan takes off his gloves and you can see some of his fingers aren't fully formed and they're starting to turn back into ice. So I think whatever happened is, is that when he shattered, he wasn't put back together right. And maybe that's why he's wearing this hooded cloak or whatever to keep him together, because this very much is not an icicle outfit. But yeah, I just don't want to, I don't want to bury the lead here, but like he, it seems like Icicle was the one responsible for it all along. He was the one watching them on the cameras. And I said that the ultra humanite seems to be the one that was doing his bidding, but it very much feels like Icicle has been the one pulling the strings the whole time. He must've killed the gambler. He must've attacked Starman. So it's, I love the fact that the subplot has played into the main story now. And because I said that the Cameron story was very much a series story and the murder mystery was very much a season story. And it turns out they were both more connected than any of us knew. I'm, I'm gutted about the Crocs because they came on so far. I, I, I don't want to lose them. I love the relation. I loved Paula's relationship with Barbara, but I also liked Larry's relationship with Pat. It's hard to go. It's going to be, even though there's only like three episodes left, it's going to be hard to imagine the show without them. Yeah, no, I'm upset that I don't even go here. Like, I'm like, Jordan, why was this? I mean, great, like, writing-wise, great return. Emotionally, it's just, like, the cracks deserve better. Right. <laughs> like, they got be, I'm sure they'll be back. I They're hope. shattered, Reed. Oh, <laughs> the other guy was shattered and came back. No, but, <laughs> but he, he has but, ice powers. Yeah, he yeah, can melt. <laughs> he can melt and bring himself back. We'll see. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, set the stage now for the final three episodes. What side will the grandparents choose? What side will Cameron choose? What side will Cindy choose? Because um, it very much own. seems, oh, without a doubt, yes. <laughs> it'll just happen to line up with everybody else's. Um, but it's very, he's very much, seems to be that he's out to get revenge on his former enemy or his former allies, because so far he's killed the gambler who he once worked with. He's attacked Starman, who was once his mortal enemy, but Starman was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. And now he's killed the Crocs, who were his former allies. So why, it seems to be that he doesn't like the fact that the bad guys have gone good and maybe he's trying to get revenge on them. And I think maybe the ultimate deciding factor in that test will be Cameron because he's now been faced with a path of good versus bad. And I do feel like in the end, Cameron's a good person who's just been brought up into, the, into a very bad world. So I feel like all in all, he will choose good in the end. But yeah, the, the, the emotional stakes, the conflict, the, uh, the choices, it's going to make for a very interesting final three episodes and I can't wait. But I am still very upset about the Crocs and I don't think I'll get over that. That's understandable. I don't know if you have a lot to, to head it towards you as you get towards the end of the season. Oh, end of the series. To <laughs> <laughs> the end of the series. But it sounds like it's going to be spectacular that they're not resting on their laurels, which is mm-hmm. good. Yeah, I think we're in for like, a worthy series finale and I hate that I even have to say that but I'm excited to see how it ends and I have no doubt that the team behind Stargirl will make sure that it's been as high quality as the rest of the series and I can't wait even if I know for a fact I will be emotionally traumatized for the next three weeks. (laughs) (laughs) Well speaking of quality Walker Independence is continuing to prove itself on the network. Um, there's a lot happening in this episode, so much so that I've watched it twice and I feel like I didn't digest all of it. There was just so much mm-hmm. that went on. Okay, see, I told you guys I was going to rewatch it because this whole, like, talking about it a week after, like, I'm blaming it on the CW. <laughs> like, it's not <laughs> Like, it's just not... 
anyway um but i didn't get to rewatch it so i'm like i feel like i remember the beginning and i remember like the climax so you guys left to fill in the gaps for me i don't think i remember <laughs> <laughs> remember enjoying it <laughs> Well, it started with Eli. It was interesting to start with a character we didn't weren't introduced to first. That's Eli, apparently Tom's best friend who knew the devil had a friend. That was an apt title for the episode. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Uh, we have another person two weeks in a row, someone close to Tom coming in. mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Different vibes. True, because Teresa, his aunt is, no, Teresa, sorry, his aunt is, she is something. That is a queen pin. And mm-hmm. Eli was a desperate, desperate man. He was not in charge of anything. <laughs> yeah, he was like, we should start a bar, which was very giving the uh, that one episode of How I Met Your Mother with Barney and Ted where they're drunk and they're like, we should start a bar. <laughs> <laughs> it's like not a good idea. And Tom in Walker Defense is like, no, I have other things going on. You need to get, get out of here, dude. <laughs> And Eli just wouldn't. They had a great opening sequence, though, with Eli. And I think the bounty hunter's name is Santiago. Um, one of the things that I really like about Walker Independence is how much of a Western it is. It's like it's not just like Western as a backdrop. Like it really, truly is rooted in Western tropes because him running from a bounty hunter and hopping onto his horse like just with his hands and then going it was an amazing sequence. I'm like, oh, we have the stunts. We have the things that we need to have for a Western. I find that you see that a lot in the scenes that are funnily enough take place outside of independence or just on the outskirts of it. Um, we see, we always see it when when Callian uh, goes goes uh, tracking things as well, and it really does remind you that we're dealing with a really ambitious western here. And sometimes it's easy to overlook that because you just get so attached to the characters and the stories. But this is without a doubt probably the most ambitious show on CW right now and it's sometimes it seems like that to take you out of the story that remind you just how ambitious it was and it was not it was a great introduction to Eli as well and so was the fight between Tom and him because apparently Eli likes to jump his friends in order to say hello <laughs> after seeing them not having seen them for years uh, but this whole episode was really about like different dynamics and friendships as well in a very cute and uh, way with um in Abby in uh, and oh god why am I forgetting her name because I love her Kate um Kate in and there was some brush up between um Gus and Callie and too and much needed conversation because apparently Callie um because apparently Gus feels left out which is like oh he could have more than one friend Gus <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was important to them because they 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 were established as one of the earliest dynamics in the show, and then you haven't seen it much. So I'm glad that we actually have a storyline to play on that. But uh, yeah, I agree with you. I know what you mean. Like, he can't have more than one bestie. I, I, I think Gus is trying, kind of so conflicted by what's going on right now. He doesn't know if he can trust the sheriff. He doesn't know where Abby's come from. And now Callian, who didn't like staying in town, is suddenly in town a lot more. And he's hanging around with some of the people that have raised Gus's suspicions. I, I, I see where they're going with this and I think it makes for a good storyline because I think Augustus is going to be faced with a choice at some point in time and I'm going to be intrigued to see what choice he makes between trusting the sheriff and doing his duty like he's supposed to or asking the questions that he needs to. We had some um, unforeseen developments with Tom, right? Because there was that sequence toward the end, not to skip to the end, um, but when Eli takes... His name's Eli, right? You said Eli? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Whew, it's been a week. Um, when he takes Abby like hostage and holds her at gunpoint, Tom's like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> and I was like, oh, does he have a bit of a conscience as far as Abby's concerned? 
Yes. It was an interesting where I didn't expect him to draw that line there, but I was like, I don't hate it. It's confusing, but Thoughts? Yeah, Tom has a bit of a crush. I mean, it keeps like uh, it's getting there. He got distracted in his conversation with Eli when Abby just simply went to the bar, and that's how Eli picked up on it. I think it is because he's. I will say there's one thing I don't like about Walker Independence, and it's only because they're making me endeared to Tom. I was like, stop making me like Tom. He's supposed to be our villain. I and know we so... meet him as being this murderer and like we we're supposed to have his number and then as with any good storytelling i think as much as it's like frustrating they start to break down that character like the Mm anti-hero and it's like uh, stop making me like him i don't want to (laughs) i know sorry go ahead i was just gonna say it's because greg's so good and he has Mm -hmm. like puppy dog eyes and you can tell tom feels really deeply i'm like dang it that wasn't supposed to like Tom. Here we are. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And we did say in the first episode, but he only appeared in like two scenes. And I think those two or three scenes while they stayed with us went a long way to try to highlight him. Like, I love the fact that this, there's no mystery over who killed Abby's husband. We've said that time and again, it's how is she going to get him is the mystery. And so we knew Tom's the villain of the piece right from the beginning. And the show went a long way to portray that. It was very much like, man a few words undertaker like the way it was shot you barely seen but below his hat or below his eyes underneath his hat he was very and he was always in the shadows and those silhouettes and now as the season season goes on you're starting to see more more of him and particularly i think the episode where Teresa showed up it very much portrayed that yes he's a bad person but he may be like a victim of the environment that he grew up in or that he was part of because by this looks of things, the Davisons are not good people. I mean, their reputation precedes them. And I think they're kind of using him as their instrument of destruction because he is now in a position of power where he can like, but that he can abuse if they need him to. And he is very much doing that thus far, just very secretly. But I think as it goes on, we're starting to see more and more of the side of what who the real Tom could have been, what the real Tom was. And then he does have feelings, even if he's a bad person. And like Reed said, I think that makes for a much more interesting, well-rounded villain as well. It does. It does. It's just frustrating. Um, Especially because the show is also like even at the end when Gus was like, actually, I know who killed, um, who might have killed Liam and it's not Tom. And I was like, wait, no, don't don't make it even more complicated for us. I know. Like (laughs) Like, what information have you been sitting on, sir? (laughs) (laughs) Because he's all like, I wish you'd come to me earlier. Or you could have told Callie and yourself, Gus, that's possible. Yeah. The phone works both ways, even though there's not electricity in this time. (laughs) Yeah, Gus always knew where to find him. I don't know why he didn't just do that. No, probably because he was like, you're talking to other people. So therefore, (laughs) I can't trust you right now. Um, No, I love Gus. It was just funny because it did very much remind me of like, oh, he because I think it's because Gus doesn't really have anybody else. He has Mm -hmm. Callie. And and I guess in some ways he has Tom, but that's a working relationship. That's quite fraught. He even had to tell Tom to fix his tone with him. Mm. Oh, what a scene that was. Yeah. That was great. I was like, not um, Gus being like, I know you're not talking to me that way. (laughs) (laughs) Kate and Abby's um, similar dynamic this episode was frustrating to me because I could see where I, I understand where Abby's coming from. She's like, I'm, you know what I want you to know. And can you please leave it there? And Kate's coming at it very, um, I think in, her intentions are good. Like she's coming at it lovingly. Like 
you're going to be asked these questions by other people and they're not going to be as nice as me. Mm-hmm. And she's coming to her as like a friend, like you can trust me. And Abby's like, I trust myself. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who I can trust, but I know I can trust myself. Um, but it was nice to see Abby at the end of the day, help Kate out of that jam when things got dicey. So that complicated friendship, I think is just going to continue to get better as Abby realizes like, yeah, I can open up to her, but I see where she's coming from. Cause sometimes I'm like, but I trust Kate. Cause she mm-hmm. does have her own like agenda as this spy, whatever she is. Um, but she does seem like she's really um, caring toward Abby. But I'm like, is that part of her game? I, I love her. Don't get me wrong. But just those questions popped into my head. Well, and she didn't answer any of her own. She didn't answer any questions this episode either. She was the one asking all of them because she wanted mm-hmm. Abby to be an open book. And I was like, Kate, you're not playing your own game. What's something that we don't know about you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I I appreciated the work that this episode did as far as them to uh, go because it, I felt like it kind of made up for the work the previous episode didn't do because I remember I said when they find out who each other were they were very open very quickly and then it suddenly turned in well we have to get you introduced to Wei and uh, uh, Kate turned around and go Wei and then suddenly smack down next scene all the introductions have been done nobody's asking any questions now or it's a dynamic of three have suddenly turned into a dynamic of four and I was like, okay, but we do, Kate's a bit of an interesting character. Oh, should we not be asking more questions here? I think this episode made us ask them more questions about Kate because she was doing all the uh, asking questions in general. And I really like the fact that her and Abby have had one of the more solid uh, friendships on the show because they weren't asking those questions to begin with and they were keeping secrets from each other. So it was all nicey nicey. Whereas now, because they know more, they are starting to ask more questions. And I think that went a long way and like, solidifying them I do agree we don't know enough about Kate yet and I think that's intentional but I do like the fact that this episode kind of made up for the previous one and it makes it look better in hindsight now that Abby's like wait can I trust you why are you asking me all these questions same as Kate is like why haven't you been telling me the truth they're both very complicated characters and I think we're going to see more of that as it goes on and with um Abby's grief it was interesting she has this portrait of Liam um in her mind that she has to keep a certain way because mm-hmm. he's passed away. And Kate like punched that thing over and over and over again in this episode. It, it, it makes Abby have to question things herself about her husband, things that she like she noticed but was was pushing to the side. And it does make her wonder like who was my husband then? Like why did we leave? Like he kept saying it was because of all the bad things that happened in Boston, which I am glad that they keep seeding in these little bits of information about her Boston life, um, especially when it comes to her family and that dynamic and learning that her father did not approve of Liam. Um, and we already knew that Abby was headstrong, um, but seeing how she went up against her father and how that that she is one to challenge authority when need be, and that keeps becoming a problem for her. Um, it creates trouble, but it's interesting trouble that she keeps getting into. So I can't wait to find out more about what's happening because everybody apparently has run away from something. So I want to know what Kate's running away from um, and what Callian's secret is because Gus knows it, but um, we don't yet because there's something that apparently he was hiding. And that's the hiding thing was just that he was hiding the Tom stuff and then never mind about that comment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hmm. 
I don't know. It does feel like everybody is not saying what they mean and there are secrets abound here. And I think that's a good thing because like, even though we have established dynamics, somebody knows more than somebody else and that could end up causing conflict. Um, I, I know I do like all of the dynamics and the secrets, but I think of all of the things Boston is not done with the story yet. I feel like there's going, we're going to find out more. It very much has this like shadowy overarching presence. And I feel like a lot of the answers lie in the past. And I, and maybe that's why Abby is being so like um, cold when it comes to talking about her past and understandably so with everything that's happened. But I think she, as she gets her eyes open more and more, we'll get our eyes open more and more as well, because I do, I feel like there are a lot of secrets and answers lie in whatever went down in Boston, both with Liam, the Davidsons. Um, Yeah. I think there's a lot of mysteries that have yet to be solved as far as Boston goes. And that's what makes it a great show. There's just something in every piece of dialogue, every dynamic, every scene. And it was interesting with Abby, how she, not cold because this this man she does believe this man murdered her husband but I loved how like her seeing him break down over his loved one didn't change her mission she just acknowledged that yes he's a person with feelings but also he killed my husband she can contain multitudes she can have empathy and also want revenge (laughs) yes I love that there wasn't sort of a slip um to oh well he's a good he's not a good person but like he loves someone too like there was none of that conflict Oh, <laughs> yes. I'm back. <laughs> yes, she was. It's so great. She's a great heroine. Like she's mm-hmm. a great protagonist. One of the best CW has done. And I say that having only seen um, the first few episodes of Walker Independence. We haven't even finished the season yet, um, but I just feel like she's one of the best CW ladies we've gotten. It's a great character. And the, uh, every episode has been beautifully composed, but um this episode in particular, these directors and DPs are just, they, the, the language they have put into every shot, they've set this gorgeous tone for the show. And it's a treat to watch every scene. Like you're not expecting some of these scenes to look so good, but they are amazing. Uh, was there anything else though but uh, besides like well I feel like every week we're like it's amazing <laughs> but it's hard not to do that because there's so much thought um that is put into each episode of Walker Independence hey, well, I like I said I barely remembered anything <laughs> <laughs> just on following up on Reed's note yeah I do want to f- uh, just shout out was it the scene where Eli was was Eli slowly making his way towards Higgins or whatever the lighting in that scene, when you saw Independence at night, we don't always see Independence at night. The way it was shot, the uh, the lighting underneath the buildings, the, the the dark night sky, again, it just made it feel so larger than life. You just, you get so used to seeing the show in the daylight and everything. And now shooting outdoors is a huge thing for this network, but you do, you get used to it. See, seeing it in a different, seeing Independence in a different light, the way it's shot, the way the characters move through it, it gives it a life of its own. And I just, I also just wanted to commend how visually stunning the show is. Okay, it's, 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 I will just put this in my eye perspective. It's the best show in the CW right now. <laughs> the Walker Independence Fan Club. I yes. Agree. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Well, other like best shows of the CW has ever done has excellent visual. Um, I'm forgetting the word. 
there's something there. I was going to, let's just go cinematography. Cause the, where I was going with that sentence, it just, it petered off and fell off a cliff. Um, <laughs> but like, so we're doing the Nancy double feature and that opening for the penultimate episode was amazing. Mm-hmm. So didn't we swirl into the shot? I feel like you, like it turns and then you're with Nancy and her and her dad as they're arguing about the mm-hmm. fact that he kept this secret from her. And I paused, I think, a minute in because she she displaced Kate immediately and I was like not your mama (laughs) (laughs) yeah that scene was tough to watch because I feel like my instinct always and not proud of this but like whenever some of these conversations come up I'm like oh and I think it's just I don't want to see the characters hurt like this because she's unpacking so much pain that just came at her like a Mack truck. Like it was an, in an instant, her whole existence just unraveled. Um, but I'm like, uh, like I want, like, I understand what Carson and Kate did for her, why they did it for Lucy. And I'm like, I know that you can get to that point, but um, as a viewer, it's like, that's what I think what's successful about it. Cause you can be frustrated. You're like, Oh, he did, they did something good. And there is a moral gray area. Cause they did lie to you for 20 years. And, I just wanted her to see it, but I loved how she walked through that because for as much um, as we always get on Nancy's case about making questionable choices, she does have an emotional intelligence from time to time because she knows herself better than anybody. And she knew like, I need to process this alone. Her instinct is always to retreat and isolate Mm -hmm. whenever something Mm -hmm. happens. And she very much immediately did that. And I think it was less from a place of, I'm mad at you. Please don't talk to me. It was more of a place like you're trying to take the pain away and nothing that you will say in this moment will change anything. And it's also kind of self-serving because you want me to feel better so that you feel less guilty, but I am not ready for that. So she's like, everybody, please leave me alone as I process this. And like she said to Ace, not to fast forward through all of this, but she was like, when I have the words, Mm -hmm. I will, Mm -hmm. I will express them to you. So I thought that that opening scene where she is just rightfully brutal to Carson, and even though I was like, I don't want you to hurt like this, Nancy, it was very necessary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I to follow up on what I said about Stargirl earlier on, I love when a show picks right up after the cliffhanger because it doesn't skip mm-hmm. the aftermath. And this very much let us sit with that. And yeah, I totally agree. You did get you felt everything you could possibly feel for both characters because you do see you see all sides to the story and that makes you conflicted because you're like well who do I resonate with more because I totally saw where Nancy was coming from but at the same time you understood the position Carson and Kate were in all those years ago so how how, how do you feel like angry towards either one of them when you totally understand where they're both coming from and also just I know we're probably going to say it many times throughout this review but like Kennedy's performance Oh my, oh my, you, you felt, I felt like I was attacked in those first two minutes of the episode and watching a, what we, what is basically a bumper double length finale for us. You, we, we got attacked many times throughout those two episodes, but like just to get attacked so soon, it really made you, it did, it re, did really feel like the story was coming together, but at the same time, everything was unraveling and you couldn't help but feel for everyone involved. My goodness, what a performance from Canada. And she deserves, I'm su- 
surprised you didn't get an award for this right. <laughs> because it is absolutely stunning work the way her emotions build um and you can she does so well with the i don't know how you describe it it's like trying to put um a top on a pot that's boiling over like clearly um nancy has too many feelings to handle which is why she's literally walking away like running away from them we're like we're in the kitchen we're up the stairs we're in the room and then we're out the window after she closes <laughs> the door on her her dad and kennedy i mean that felt like a marathon scene like she could have been over the top um she could have gotten there way too fast and so by the time um she gets to the emotional peak she's been petered out and instead it just felt like soul crushing it just felt like i like like carson you just stop talking like stop talking mm-hmm. she can't talk right now um so that she can she can leave and then she does and then the understanding she comes to at the end by the way nancy's so mean i love her but those <laughs> barbs are like they're, they're so cutting um but at the, towards the end of the episode when she tells her dad that she understands having like having a secret that you don't want anyone to know about but then she just shoves the knife in deeper um but like she understands she's still not talking to you like because also she told her secret because she had to and i was just like kennedy i don't know how you had to live in that headspace for that long but that frustration of nancy's and the scaredness there she looks like a little girl whenever she's talking to ryan and trying to piece together like what do you have wanted me how would you felt like um, let me just ask these questions that I really don't need to be asking because he shouldn't he, like she was asking questions that he should have been like, why are you asking me this? Mm. But he was just answering because it's Ryan and he doesn't keep more than two thoughts in his head most of the time. So <laughs> like I, I can't even say I like Ryan. I know the Ryan stands are probably going to get on me for that. Um, but that has a lot to do with the unpacking of this man that they did in these two episodes. And at least in season one, he's not a good person like no. by any stretch of the imagination, but he clearly did love Lucy. Mm-hmm. He did. Seventeen Episode 17, the penultimate, is when he and Nancy go to that free clinic, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she... Uh, we... To go back to Kennedy's performance for a second and Nancy in this episode, we I feel like she's gone through a lot of hard times this season. But this yeah. season, Kennedy carries Nancy's emotions a lot differently like for the first time we see her just like depleted Mm -hmm. like there's something in her that just like someone blew the fire out and it does kind of come back when she's kind of like i need to solve this mystery and wrap this thing up i'm exhausted (laughs) (laughs) but there are so many scenes where like nancy's present she's taking in the information but just you can tell she's been defeated by all of this and she's trying to keep going and in those free clinic scenes, she she's like playing a double agent. She's like, I'm just going to tag along with this guy to kind of uh, see what this would be like, but not tell him. Th- that was interesting, though, because I thought she was going to tell him a lot sooner. I didn't think she was going to string him alone. But mm-hmm. I'm glad that she did because she got to see like, oh, OK, so that's how he, he acts in the wild. <laughs> 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 Trying to throw a checkbook everywhere. <laughs> yeah, it was very interesting. I have to. I read the thing I enjoyed most about this episode, and I, it's timing might be a little bit convenient, but was the fact that 
she needed a blood relative for the ritual. So that kind of forced everything forward. It, it forced her to have to address this and it forced her to have to admit it to everyone else. Because of course, mm-hmm. while Ace very much became a confidant and he, they'd be having their own secret meetings to talk about this, which of course we're about to get into. But everybody else did not need to know this. And it was her choice as to when to tell everybody if she wanted to tell everyone. And yet this ritual forced all her hand. And I, I, I usually I hate it when an episode feels like a waste at the end, but the fact that the ritual didn't work and yet it still forced that story forward. I thought that was a genius move because it didn't kill any of the overarching story. The Agleka is still very much a big threat. It did but, kill Owen though. Uh, very true. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so the, the story is not over, but at the same time, that hurdle she had to get over about addressing that, that came and went because of the story. Her hand was forced and it brought the conflict forward very nicely. Um, and it, it basically left everyone stunned. Like, wait, why is Ryan here? That was like so much going on in that scene. And, and like Reed said, Nancy was depleted. She did not want to be be there. Any she was part so of casual about it when she said yeah. it. When was it? Someone was like, are you guys cousins or something? And she was like... Here's the quick recap. I, you know what? You're going to get the cliff notes. I don't feel like explaining it. Let's just do this. <laughs> well, and it was so emotional too, because we're literally in this like um, ritual where clearly she needs a blood relative and she's not telling any of her friends why Ryan is even here. And so there, I think it was Bess who was like, are you cousins? And mm-hmm. she was like, nope. And she's, she's like, <laughs> and nope. she's like, let's just read the, the thing. And Ace, Ace is such, gave her such emotional support. Um, in episode 17 I think 18 too they're kind of Mm -hmm. mixing in my head right now yeah Um, but he was like he was really just there as a pillar of strength for her like he didn't go tell her business he was um, when she wasn't going to answer about um, who Ryan is to her he said let's just do the ritual just gonna keep on going Um, but she's in so much I love how the emotional pain she's in then has to translate into physical pain because of the ritual um, and the way that her and Ryan's hands are at the start of it, where they're just pressed together and there's all that blood coming out. And then like she's they're holding on to each other's hands as she has to, through the pain, explain who she like, who Lucy um, is to her and who Ryan is to her now. And then the shock that ripples through their friend group was just a lot. I just think to me, this episode was better than the finale, actually. Like the mm-hmm. penultimate episode was so emotionally charged and so about Nancy and they kept giving Kennedy these little scenes to just like blow up. So you have her blowing up um, by the car with Ryan when he's like, yeah, we should just let Owen die. And she's like, excuse me. (laughs) (laughs) And she's like, why are you like this? And she goes on that, like that tirade, she's called morally bankrupt. He's a legacy criminal um, who's into teenage girls. (laughs) She did (laughs) And he was like, he got upset. He's like, you know what? Find your own way home. And I was like, you can't just leave her here. But he does. Oof. I do want to, th- you did uh, touch on him, his r- romantic situation with George. And that was a, a big thing that happened. And I wanted to touch on that because there was a part of me that was like, oh, this kind of feels like it's coming out of, nowhere a little bit but I that's not at all after I thought about it I was like no that's this has been George's arc building and I'm so glad that they they did this because a lot of times in television shows especially ones from when we were growing up they would always portray the 
the older person dating the teenager as like sexy. And like, even if people were against it, they would still try to fight for it. And it was, they never made a point to say that was not right. And there have been shows, even modern shows recently that have fumbled that so hard, but to see George um, coming to that real realization quickly and it may be some people be like, oh, she maybe she wouldn't have come to that clarity so quickly. That was just like a device for her and Nick to get together. But I was like, I think it was important for them, not only for George to come to this reckoning, but to portray this relationship that was in this season and to fully circle back to it and be like, no, no, that was not okay what he did with her, dating her when she was 17. And it did cause some emotional damage that she didn't realize at the time because she was the one that was young. It reminded me of that new Demi Lovato song, 29. I don't know if you guys have heard it, but as soon as she started having that conversation with Ryan, that song played in my head because that's what it's about. It's about the wisdom that comes with age when you're like, oh, that relationship I had as a teenager was not okay. And I am only realizing this now, but I think it was very brave of her to tell him that and say, you, what you did was wrong. What you, and I'm still dealing with that. And again, he, it's another person trying to be like, trying to take her pain away and be like, Oh, I'm so sorry. And she's like, I don't want anything from you. I'm here to tell you for me to get this off of me. Like that was not okay. And I thought that was a really brave and beautiful scene. And Leo was so good in it too. I didn't love that I'm George freaking fan though. Cause I feel yeah. like that they do that a lot in TV. It was cute. Um, but that was my one gripe with it, but it was deserved. She earned that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. That scene was very, I loved them tying George's arc up like that. Um, it gave reason for the tension between Fanson because when, cause that's in the finale. So like when the finale opens and those two are being weird yet again, I was like, I'm going to need someone to treat Nick right. Do I have to call Tom Swift to send him? <laughs> Come get your boy. But the, um, I did like that the, it was more than PDA. Like it was, it was more, it was her not knowing how to negotiate being in a relationship with someone um, because the only point of reference she has is with Ryan and him not taking accountability at first, like Ryan not taking accountability at first was like, how do you not understand that you dating a 17 year old was not okay? He's like, you didn't, you seemed fine. And it's just like, she wasn't fine. Yeah. You're the and, adult in the situation. Your perspective is a lot different. She may seem like she's mature, but we saw in that scene with Nick, when she's explaining like everything that she came to, we've never seen George that vulnerable and open Mm -hmm. and she's usually so um front-facing confident like she puts on that um that air and I mean that's how she is naturally but sometimes I think it is a defense mechanism but she let it all down and let the whole wall down for Nick and I I, I'll say it again I love seeing George like that because we Mm -hmm. I think it was a very deserved um full circle arc for the season. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite things about the show is how it sometimes buries really, really powerful at meaning storylines, like within the main body of the story. So you don't see it coming until it hits you. And this was an example of that. Like Sabrina said, there was an awful lot of uh, inexplicable tension between her and Nick. And it just felt like it kind of came out of nowhere. Um, and then they added some real 
powerful depth to it. And I know I agree that I thought the penultimate episode was better than the finale, but the the George's whole arc in the finale was my favorite part of it because it was such like a, a as Reed said, full circle moment. And she she really took control of everything in of a situation that she felt like she didn't have control of when she was younger. And it really resonated. And not only just like the performances of, from Leah, but just the writing as well. I know she had her big badass, I'm George freaking fan moment at the end, but the dialogue leading up to that was really, really powerful. And I think that ended up being my favorite scene from the finale. And it was probably the most like important scene as far as character goes for George yet. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it kind of, like I said, kind of felt like it didn't feel like it came out of nowhere, but it caut me off guard because I didn't think the yeah, show would go that deep. Yeah, I didn't. Th- I, it, I didn't think the show would go that deep that quickly. Well, because and, we don't really see stuff like that in shows. Mm-hmm. Like we don't see someone really taking their power back in that way. And the show was very explicit about it without being like a very special episode. You know, it was. Mm-hmm. It was really, um, I'll say, I keep saying it, but it was very necessary and Mm -hmm. they pulled it off. They did. And it's good that that this was done and contained in this season. That way we can see George grow in Mm -hmm. season two and figure out how she wants to be in a relationship because she doesn't know um to how to be in a relationship that's you know out in the public like it's it's not he ryan always kept her behind closed doors she could only talk to him at certain times he always made her feel very small and nick doesn't do that um and i love that part of the Anson's relationship is george coming into her own and allowing herself to be vulnerable because she didn't she didn't have a relationship to do that in um she's always the strong one with her mom with her sisters even in her friendships and so in her romance, there's room for her to be vulnerable and not always be okay and be and allow herself and to be taken care of too because yeah. she's mm-hmm. she's independent, love it, but is she sometimes it can be to a fault. But and Nick is a very like um, his love language is like acts of service. He like loves to take care of people, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I think george is usually like what that she's like that's not how i show love so why are you doing that like i take care of everybody else um but yeah i loved seeing her confront all of that it was really well done there were other full circle moments too for characters like Bess. like she begins the season like desperately wanting to be a marvin and now she's a marvin in the final like sequence she's like i don't know anything about this family the like is in this painting <laughs> did i make a mistake <laughs> Mm-hmm. They're not a great family. Um, I, I was like, maybe you should just call your mama over in London or something and just be happy with her and this found family that you have because the Marvins are, they're a trip. And so is Aunt Diana. And um, it really does seem like this is not about love. This is about hierarchy. And she's also standing with the aunt with the, with the money. And the fact that she is, she's walking a fine, Bess is walking a fine line in her relationship with Elizabeth. Uh, uh, for her aunt. I was like, auntie don't deserve all this. She really don't. Um, her perfection is transactional and you're going to find that out the hard way. Not that I'm necessarily, I will say my feelings on best Elizabeth has kind of cooled. Um, Elizabeth sort of just serves a police purpose and she pops in for conflict for best. And that's about it. Like the relationship hasn't progressed past that. And I don't know if it will. Um, but as far as giving best a, a through line of discomfort and not being like the 
part of the comic relief that's sort of what Lisbeth and the Marvins serve for her. Same with Owen. I wasn't sad that he died. I was sad that Nancy was upset. And, it felt um, like it was always going to happen, though. Like somebody yeah. was going to be a casualty of all this. And but I, I should I issue an apology to Owen? I was so untrusting of him, and it turns out he was fine. <laughs> yeah, he's apparently a good guy. I too was like, I'm sorry, Owen. I, yeah, I, I, that was the thing that stayed with me. I was like, we thought this guy was like too good to be true and it turns out no he actually was just pretty decent they, they used they used him for every decent storyline they could and then his run on the show came to an end he wasn't too good to be true but he was he was too good to, to keep alive apparently so um, sorry owen <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> may you rest in peace <laughs> but speaking of owen's death did you guys see it coming that it was josh dodd or lucy's no i no. didn't either i thought it was the Iglaka and we were yeah. like here we are full steam ahead next villain <laughs> i also i didn't like that review <laughs> i was like i felt like, like, like huh, who could it be and it just ends up being josh i did like though that nancy had a scene with patrice um mm. when she got to tell her her grandmother who she is when she w- pulled up to that nursing home again and went in the room i was like nancy girl <laughs> not again <laughs> Stressed me out the first time you did this, and thankfully it went better. <laughs> it was dicey in the beginning, but she was like, I'm your granddaughter. And suddenly Patricia was like, Oh, okay. Yeah, she's I was like, Okay, well, thank you for not emotionally manipulating the woman this time, Nancy. It all worked out for you. <laughs> this, wait, Josh is arrested now, right? I, I realized I tuned yeah, out of that mm-hmm. part of the story. Okay. I think they gave best that line of dialogue. She was like, thank you for putting, she said it to Elizabeth, thank you for putting Josh in jail. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, yeah, goodbye, was, Josh. Yeah. I thought you were dead, but... We... <laughs> <laughs> I know he got very serial killer. I felt like, I don't know, honestly, it happened overnight, but I know those last few episodes were very closely knitted together as far as the timeline goes. Um, yeah, I don't know how I felt about that because she was just finding out this, fam- this family of hers was her actual family. And then he was very, even though he was responsible for Tiffany's unfortunate death, you saw the the pieces leading up to it. And then he just kind of turned into a serial killer that like, was like resurrected from the dead. I mean, it plays into the tone of the show, but I mean, like just with the depth of her story, I don't know whether that gelled as much for me. Maybe there's more story yet to come. I don't know. The season was cut slightly short, if I'm right in thinking, was I? Was that uh, with the 18 episodes? This was around yeah. the pandemic shutdown, wasn't it? Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, so that's why the maybe the penultimate had more finale feels than the actual finale, but um, yeah, it was it was a solid and the show made it work. But yeah, it was a bit of an unusual pivot to like full on serial killer uncle for me overnight. <laughs> and I really yes. want them to come to this realization as a unit, as like it feels like the thing that's brought them all together is that they're all searching for some sort of family, some kinship. Like Best mm-hmm. wants that family connection with her roots and um george has a very um turbulent home life and then nick doesn't really have anybody ace is kind of on his own nancy feels very alone and i i want them to realize like whatever you're searching for is in this group of five people like you found it you have it and maybe they have realized it and they're not saying explicitly which is like obviously great writing because like we can see it happening um but i do kind of i want them to come to that understanding that like they don't need to search elsewhere they've already they, they've got it they have each other they're their own family now they've been through too much to <laughs> to to not be a family at this point 
I'm hoping that um, that is what we see in the opening for season two, since they all saw themselves die in very traumatic ways. Mm-hmm. So like just sharing circle. Like, I don't care whose house it is, but like, like tell each other what happened. I think the most, the one that was like, oh, we need a trigger warning. Um, to me, it was when Ace's death. As mm. it, when I saw his feet dangling, yeah. I was like, oh no. Um, yeah, that was a lot. It got worse. It was quite a lot. N- none of them deserved to die that way. Um, I do wonder if that is going to play into season two. Um, if there's a specific reason why um, they all were shown the, that way of dying, or if it just was proximity, like Bess was near a fire, therefore she's on fire. Mm-hmm. Um, Ace was near the freezer, therefore the, the meat hook. Like, I don't know, the Aglega is going to be really interesting as a, I guess, a villain. I, it's hard to call it. She's vengeful. I don't really know if I want to call her a villain. It just seems like you didn't pay her toll, so now you're going to have to deal with it. And they thought they got away when they saved Josh. They're like, oh, maybe this will tip the scales. And it's like, eh, I don't I don't know if it works that way, guys. <laughs> no, I did, very angry. I did appreciate the closing montage, even if it was quite traumatizing. And um, because it reminded me, even if this was something of an unplanned finale, it reminded me of how the show opened the, the first two part pilot part one and pilot part two, as we call it, both end it with those like dramatic monologues of like, this is the world we're in. This is what the future looks like. And that was very much the vibe I got from the finale montage there. Um, it is going to be interesting to see how big a role the Aglaica will play here. Is this just the remnants of the season one villain carried over? Or are we dealing with full on season two, big bad? Either way, totally on board. Um, it's going to be an interesting pivot from like a, a, the, the realistic murder mystery, especially since we did solve the realist and did the other realistic murder mystery in Owen's demise. But yeah, we've got some interesting stories to look forward to in season two. And I feel like the only thing we didn't really get into is the Nancy and Ace moments because, uh, that one where Nancy was like, uh, she has a lot of stuff to unpack. And when I find the words, I'll tell you them. I feel like if you haven't seen the crumbs, you certainly saw them after that, right? Yeah, that was like a sandwich. Yeah. That was like yeah. <laughs> yeah, because the crumbs were like all the ways in which he, in which he was like checking in on her just by looking. Um, I just, again, he's really supportive. Like Nace, I feel like for Nace, Ace's position, at least right now, is being the person that's not really requiring anything of Nancy. Like she, if she needs someone to lean on, that's Ace. Like, and he's still like him. I love that he he's still sort of comic relief too around her. Like the um the blue jars and he's like yeah. no sign of Tinkerbell. Yeah. <laughs> and when he pulled like, up, I don't remember which episode it was, but when he pulled up and he was like, get in. <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> and then he I called he called Owen looking for too because he knew where Mm -hmm. she would be yeah he he's the one that can really disarm her um and i'm i'm not totally sure if if i think they're aware of their connection or if it just exists because they do have a comfort with each other that i'm not sure that they realize what it means do you know what i mean like it doesn't (laughs) seem like they're fully aware that there's a deeper connection there yeah and yeah it's, pretty, I, it's a it's that's what people love about shipping right yeah, <laughs> yeah. and i because i feel like when it, when the show started they were the one that had the least 
kind of dynamic. You know, George and Nancy had the history from high school. Um, and Nick and Nancy were obviously in a relationship. And Bess was this unusual character that Nancy kind of connected to right away. So that kind of left Ace out, not out in the cold, but he was the one that she didn't have a specific relationship with. And I feel like as the season's gone on and the two of them have been investigating things together and very much in a Scooby-Doo scenario, whereas like you three split up and we'll do this. Nancy and S always ended up paired off. So they've kind of come together by being, by, I think the thing that drew them together is just that they're a great team and they can clearly trust each other, which just kind of feels like it came out of nowhere, I'm sure to Nancy, because like she didn't have that relationship with him. So I just feel like it's, it's kind of happened to them too without them realizing it. They haven't forced this, they haven't addressed this and it's just all happened really naturally for them. And I think now, I don't even know if they're realizing it yet, but I know the viewers would be they're starting to realize that they do make a great double act and there's some chemistry there and there is a kinship and these two would not have described each other as friends in the early going and now they've really connected, which is great to say. Yeah, I agree. There's not a, um, there's not an awareness. I will say though, that I felt from the pilot that Nancy likes Ace. It's just the way that she is around him. Um, like when you walk into, when she walks into the kitchen for the first time, it's the way she looks at him before she mm-hmm. veers off into the rest of it. Um, and just the amount, like, Reed, you had spoken to like her emotional intelligence, at least in regards to herself. I do think she has a lot of that, but I'm not sure if she does when it comes to how her feelings towards romance. Oh yeah. Romance. She, yeah. she needs a roadmap. She's lost. <laughs> yeah. Cause I was like, I like, she's, I was like, you like him. You're not there yet realizing it, but you do. Um, I think it's much easier for her to connect to um, attraction first. And she's attracted to Nick mm-hmm. and she's attracted to Owen. Not to say that she's not attracted to Ace, but there, there is a level of comfort there. Um, in kinship and connection that is that doesn't need to transcend if she doesn't want it to like mm-hmm. she's very much she's able to like do um a back and forth but with a series in the back and forth it just feels really warm mm-hmm. uh, I said, sorry did i interrupt you go ahead no go ahead um, I always said that the two of them, or she was kind of intrigued by him. Um, and I think that's maybe what, what, why she's connected with him so well. She's such a detective and she figures people out. And when she can't figure people out, she tries to figure them out. And with S, I think he's just so, such an unusual character. She's always been intrigued from. And I think as the season's gone on, that's turned into a real endearment. You'll see like when he says something funny and everyone just stops and she just kind of looks at him. It's almost like you're waiting on the laugh track to kick in. And then she just moves on because she doesn't know what to make of them and like in the library episode when the two of them went 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 uh, investigating on the computer together and he started telling her about how he did this and how he did that and how he created this firewall and the safe wall she just kind of looked at him and was like why would you do that she I, she doesn't know what to make of him and i think that intrigue intrigued intrigued uh mind that she has has turned into an endearment over time and to your guys's point i think um he requires less from her mm-hmm. like he he understands her whereas i mean nick and ace are very different in the way that they um approach relationships nick and this isn't a good or bad thing he just he he needs to be seen a little bit more mm-hmm. and nancy we've talked about this a lot he she couldn't really give him that whereas it feels like ace understands her in a little bit a different way like he knows how she is and what the space that she requires sometimes and he doesn't always need to be um 
what's like reassured or like anything like he, they just have this connection. And I think it all comes down to just what Nick and Ace need that and what Nancy can provide. Um, I do think she's getting a little bit better, but she is pretty much who she is. What you see is what you get. She's, she's always on the run. She's always go, go, go. And either you're on board or <laughs> you're not. <laughs> yeah. Because with Nick, he's very hands-on. He has to be like, he's like um, a blanket, hot cup, like a hot cup of coffee or like, um, what am I thinking of? Hot chocolate or something. He has to be <laughs> the one to like take care of you. Yeah, he's like a he's like a caretaker in a way. He is. And, and that's then, not a bad thing. I'll just keep saying it's not a bad thing at all. It's a really lovely thing. It's just not what Nancy can handle. It's too much for her. Like she doesn't want your blanket. She doesn't want your hot chocolate. She like she she prefer what Ace does, which is Ace is kind of just he's there, right? He'll sit in a chair. And if you want to talk, you want to talk. But he's not a pushover. He'll be the one that says get in the car we need we need you yeah <laughs> he'll be the one to tell her what she needs to hear but he's also going to be the one that's like i'm here whenever you need me and not in like a transactional way or like mm -hmm. you can use me but in a way that's very caring yeah it's lovely it's really lovely actually mm -hmm. that the the love languages on this show are treated as equal like, obviously, sometimes you don't mesh with people or you have a great connection like um, Nick and Nancy did. It's just they they didn't mesh with what they need right now in their lives. Like, yeah, timing, like you said, mm -hmm. right now, timing is a big thing. And, and over the course of 18 episodes, all of their lives have changed in so much in different ways. So who Nancy was in episode one is not who she is in episode 18. So but who's to say that if Nick and Nancy were to try now, who knows if that would have been better or worse than when they did happen. Mm -hmm. This just got really deep. Yeah, it did. <laughs> but I think it's just because Nancy Drew was a very deep show. I think to answer your question, I don't think they'd work right now either. Yeah, it's I just too much. It's just, yeah, he's, too huh? much has happened. Too much has happened. Mm -hmm. I know. Uh, but I still love Drewson forever. Even the Nace is like, I get it. I do. I think I'll be there, like fully there. The way truly these writers love them because mm -hmm. it's very romantic how they've written them, but like a slow burn romantic thing. There's just, it's going to pay off when we get to that part. Yeah. <laughs> like it just, all the seeds and scenes, it's just, it's going to be amazing. Storytelling. I'm looking forward to seeing how Nancy and Nick's friendship evolves mm. over the next two seasons because best friends yeah because now he's in a relationship with somebody else who she's also close to and i think that evolution will be really great to watch they can all grow from this and they i can. think they all have bigger fish to fry that they probably should not be too concerned about who's dating who <laughs> that's true but the emotions are messy but i think it'll it'll actually be be fine I, I do think they're going to end up being best friends. I like the moment where he says, he tells um, Ace to stay with Nancy. And he goes over to be what mm -hmm. um, George needs him to be. And I said, like, I still get content. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, that is the end of season one for us, though. I mean, it was a ride. It was a fantastic ride. It was beautiful. It was like the best, one of the best things CW has ever done. 
an incredible first season. Mm-hmm. An incredible first season. Just Absolutely. Amazing. Yeah. I, I I loved it. I'm I'm so glad we finally started the show because we've talked about it for so long and like it was absolutely worth the wait. Um, and I know maybe statistically that was a cut short first season, but like it didn't feel like it in the slightest. Everything came together. The story panned out. The mystery was so worthwhile and so much character work in the first season. I'm not sure I expected that level off it considering it's quite the big cast. Oh, on board and ready for season two. When, when we're going to catch up, we will. <laughs> Time for when it's going to happen. <laughs> it's going to happen. But yeah, on board for season two. And just toast Nancy Drew in general and for the season one. Because it is, if you haven't watched it, I'm sure if you're watching the review, you have watched Nancy Drew. But if you haven't and you're still listening to the pod, you should change that. It's on HBO Max, um, seasons one through three. Season four is premiering next year, likely in January, that we don't have a premiere date yet. Come join us. Yeah, Toast and Nancy, come join us in Horseshoe Bay. It's a messy place, but it's worthwhile. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, that's it for this week's pod. Um, We are the CW Spiral. I'm Sabrina. I'm Michael. And I'm Reed. Bye, y'all. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.